Hello there, this is Cassia. Before we dive into our excellent episode, guest starring 100% Star Wars, I just wanted to share the results of our giveaway for the GameStop Gaming Greats Knights of the Old Republic Collector Box featuring Revan and Bastila as Funko Pops. And I'm excited to announce that coming in third place is Igor B. And then in second place, we have Star Wars Doctrine. And in first place, we have Porgzalin, who won. Thank you to everyone who entered. And do not despair, because we have an extra Gaming Greats box to give away. We're planning for episode 100 to do another giveaway. So be on the lookout for that. So don't worry, we will have plenty of future other giveaways for all of you to enter into. And we appreciate the support. And... Yeah, have a great day and may the force be with you. And now we'll just dive into this episode. Thank you. Hello there. This is Cassia. And this is Brian. Welcome to The Ebb and Hawk, a podcast discussing Star Wars news and Knights of the Old Republic. Spoiler alert for Knights of the Old Republic series and the Star Wars films, TV shows, and all other media. This is where the fun begins. All right, today uh, we have an extra special guest joining us, uh, Luke from 100% Star Wars, and I love your YouTube channel, and I, I can tell that you love talking about Knights of the Old Republic 2 and Kreia and Malachor 5, so of course we are having you on to talk about KOTOR and Darth Malak and the Leviathan. Uh, how are you doing, Luke? I am doing well. As I mentioned, I am swelteringly hot, but um, I'm doing as good as I can be. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So in case our listeners uh, haven't seen your channel yet, like, what do you do over there? Oh, a bit of everything, really, in the old uh, Star Wars stratosphere of YouTube. Um, I mainly focus on Knights of the Old Republic, obviously. Um, a lot of my channel is lore-based. I do weekly streams playing Star Wars games. Um I review things here and there. It's it's like um, what's the word? What's what's the way to put it? It's just it's everything Star. Wars. It's a hundred percent Star Wars, right? It's in the name. Um, all kinds of Star Wars content: Old Republic, Canon, Legends. It's it's there's something for everybody. Yeah. How did you uh, discover Knights of the Old Republic? Oh, that's a good question. Um, it was about two thousand and four or five. I can't remember the exact year. But I remember exactly when I got the game and my dad had come home from work and I had the original Xbox, so I wasn't on PC and he had come home with Republic Commando and Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic 2. And I remember, obviously, as a kid, you know, the Clone Wars was uh, the prequel trilogy, sorry, was very popular. And obviously, I was super excited about playing Republic Commando, you know, becoming that that clone commando. And I sort of brushed Knights of the Old Republic aside, thinking it wasn't going to be as, as special. And I played, I think I played like an hour or two of Republic Commando, loved it. And then I thought I'd try Knights of the Old Republic. And I was only like, how old was I? Like nine or eight at this time. And I remember putting in Knights of the Old Republic 2 and just being just overwhelmed with this incredible story and this incredible game that just, it sucked me in. And I didn't 
stop playing it for like it, it felt like weeks as a child like it felt like I was playing it forever um and I've just I've been obsessed literally obsessed with with the franchise more specifically too but yeah that it's it's just the most incredible game and it and it, it it really defined my childhood in a way and especially my appreciation for storytelling and for narrative and and themes and all those things in storytelling it's just it's an important game to me and I love it so much. <laughs> I didn't realize you'd basically grown up with it. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> obviously as a kid, especially with Kotor 2, you, I don't think you fully understand it. And I don't think I fully appreciated it as a kid. I just saw it, you know, I just saw it as, you know, lightsabers, Jedi, Sith. You get to choose who you want to be. Like, I, it was only until maybe like four or five years later when I started to get into my early teens that I started to actually appreciate it in a thematical sense more than it was just Star Wars story and you know I made friends like one of my best friends we literally became friends because of KOTOR 2 I had a a nihilist profile picture on Facebook and he saw it and yeah. messaged me and then all of a sudden we became best friends and we're still <laughs> friends to this day and that was like 10 years ago so um yeah it's incredible and it's it's quite funny because I had the reverse experience with KOTOR where I played the second one first yeah. and I played the first one about how many, it must have been about three or four, four years later because I didn't have a, a PC at the time and you couldn't buy the original game on Xbox in the UK. You couldn't find it. It was really difficult to get. So I had to wait before I could play the first game for years. So it gave me a unique, I think, a unique perspective on KOTOR playing it in reverse order. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think KOTOR 2 was a slow burn when it came out uh just because it, it was not f finished all the way and i think like a lot of people had played the first nights of the older public were kind of expecting one thing but then yes. kotor <laughs> 2 went like a completely different direction mm -hmm. but i think given time like a lot of people came around to it and a lot of people have ended up preferring knights of the older public too yeah, I completely agree with you. It's kind of like the whole, um, it's kind of like the whole um, Force Awakens, Last Jedi discourse, right? Yeah. The <clears> first <throat> one was very traditional Star Wars, and then the second one just decided to go crazy. It's the exact same kind of thing, and obviously, the Last Jedi at the moment is very divisive. A lot of people dislike it for not being the Star Wars that they grew up with, you know. And yeah. I think it was the same with KOTOR. People were expecting a very similar kind of experience and what they got was just not a similar kind of experience. Definitely. Yeah, so what would you say keeps you coming back to KOTOR? Like, is it the themes? Is it the characters or something else? Well, I have to be honest and say my channel is, is what keeps me coming back. Um Obviously, I, I love Star Wars and I love Knights of the Old Republic, but I, I don't think I would be as as invested into it on on the tiny level that I am now, on the minute level, um, without my channel. So, but what makes me come back is there's always, there's always something new. The amount like I I've streamed Knights of the Old Republic two from beginning to end twice now for my channel. And the amount of times you go through it and you're like, hmm, I didn't know you could do that. Or, hmm, I didn't know this person, you know, had this quest line. You know, there's always something new to discover. And it's how many years? 15 years later. And I, I don't know of a game or should I say, well, with Knights of the Old Republic 1 and 2, I don't know of a game franchise 
where I I always seem to discover something different every time I play it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a real testament to the depth of of what they made. Yeah, I was uh, recently watching a playthrough uh, on YouTube. I don't remember the name of the channel offhand. You're just making a couple of different decisions, and it plays almost like a completely different game yeah. than than uh, you know when you make your your decisions. So just a a couple of tweaks, and you know the angle of the story is just completely different. So that's really fascinating. It's it's crazy. Like I've I've made at this point, it feels like I've I've literally spent my life reading about Revan and Kraya and all these nice Theodore Public characters because I, I when I when I do my research I go into everything just to make sure everything's concrete and correct. And even now I, I still find new dialogue from Kraya that I've never heard before. And I think to myself, I literally spent three days researching this <laughs> character. And now here comes another line that I've never heard. It's it's brilliant. If we can ever find a way to get Sarah Kesselman on our podcast like maybe she dream. we can dream like yeah. maybe she'd be like it was 15 years ago you guys are still talking about this and we'd be <laughs> like yeah like we're invested like but it, it would be amazing if that were i ever. would love to speak to her just just to and pick we'll a brain about what she thought you know because yeah. she created this incredible portrayal of a character that's become arguably like one of the greatest written characters in star wars yeah and become a a character that so many people have kind of taken influence from and been affected by and i i just wonder if she knows how much of an impact she had on so many thousands maybe millions of people yeah I, I'd, I'd love to just see what she has to say and see what she thinks yeah Kray is like a top three Star Wars character of all time for me. And like, I, I have no idea how they were able to write such a compelling character and game in the limited amount of time they had, but uh, it's incredible. They mm-hmm. did. It really is. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. So on that note, we can talk about Darth Malik because I know that's <laughs> what everyone is here for. So let's take a quick break and we can move on to our next topic. So I think you said you're kind of against a KOTOR adaptation like at all whatsoever. Is that is that right? <laughs> yeah, obviously a, a part of me as a as a fan of movies would love to see, you know, something that has been so important to me growing up on the silver screen, you know, seeing Revan, seeing... Bastler and HK and the start seeing all this on on screen would it would appease my my inner child but I when I think about it logically I, I don't think it would it wouldn't work because the amount of depth and the amount of connection you have to the game as you're playing it loses its spark if you put it into a a condensed two-hour movie even if it was a seven or eight hour trilogy i don't think you could you could do it justice and you can see the amount of movie uh sorry game to movie adaptations that just fail and they're just awful and i i don't necessarily think it's the lack of quality behind the writers or the directors of those movies i just think transferring a game into a movie form doesn't capture what makes the game special and i think that's why why they fail and I really I'm really concerned if they tried to do that with Knights of the Old Republic because people have such high expectations of these games 
um, they are for a lot of people the pinnacle of what Star Wars is, right? Yeah. And if you get that wrong as a movie, I think it's it makes Knights of the Old Republic a lot more hated within a bigger audience. So if they made it as a remake, for example, the rumored Aspire remake, if that didn't quite hit the mark, it would still be a relatively niche group of fans that would dislike it. Whereas if you made a bad movie or a movie that just doesn't capture it, it's a general it's more of a general Star Wars audience that's going to see this. And I wouldn't want to have that negative stigma around the Kotor franchise if that happened, you know. Yeah. I can understand that. Um, I guess I, I've always grown up with, with movies and like, I've always been someone who's like, kind of been a bit more experimental, kind of like maybe Frankenstein, you know, was, (laughs) was written about me, you know, it's kind of like, but what if we try it, you know, like, let's just try it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but what do you think, Brian? Those are definitely some valid concerns and, um, you bring up the good point about video game movies just just in general and it's kind of the same argument you get for movies that are adapted from books a lot of times right so you're you're playing this game knights of the old republic or you know any other game and you're spending you know 40 plus hours with these characters and how do you condense that down into a uh, shortened narrative and that's where a lot of these things get lost but i i kind of look at it a different way so i mean you have uh, knights of the old republic which is which is a game that a lot of people played, but certainly not as many people that like Star Wars as a whole. And that certainly is not as many people, you know, just in the general public of people. So if you don't do something like a movie or a series, then you just have a a huge portion of the population that never are going to hear these stories and never get to learn about these characters. Um, so I, I, I see the argument against it and I, I kind of see the argument for it. And I'm, I'm leaning just, just on the argument uh, for it. But yeah, it definitely has to be done uh, with some care for sure. If I, if I was going to put it into a live action medium, I think an animated show or a live action show would be better than a movie. Mm-hmm. Simply because, you know, you can have two or three seasons with 10 episodes all an hour long. You know, you can, you can sort of stretch it a little bit more than you can in a movie. But the only problem with that is budget limitations. You know, a movie that's $250 million in a budget is going to be so much better than a TV show that's got a $50 million budget, you know. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, isn't The Mandalorian something like $100 million per episode in budget? I something believe ridiculous so. like that? Yeah. Yeah, it's I, it's something like that. And I think the, uh, the Lord of the Rings that Amazon's doing, I think, is push it as close to like yeah. 150 million dollars or something yeah, like that so. i think it's yeah. even more than that i'm kind of like how are they are they just wanting to do a tax write-off or something i have no idea how they're gonna make money so <laughs> jeff can swing it he he can uh he can write the checks for it i guess so <laughs> but yeah i mean i i grew up with the rise of comic book movies so i i can kind of remember the argument that there were a lot of bad um, yes. comic yeah. book movies, but until, like, I feel like Iron Man in 2008, which was uh, directed by John Favreau as well, mm-hmm. um, yep. they kind of finally made it real, like, you could kind of believe it, like it was happening. They found the real. balance. They, yeah. they, they found a unique balance that, that made it feel connectable and relatable while also being absurd, and... They they seem to get that right with every single Marvel movie. Yeah. And before that, though, 
like like you said, there was some absolute trash from Marvel. It took a long time for them to finally strike that perfect balance. Yeah, I, I don't think you could do that with 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 Star Wars. I think especially with how hungry the fan base are and how high their expectations are. If you don't get it right straight away, then you're in for a a downward spiral of fan hate. I mean, I just, I, I tried to look at the sequel trilogy as a whole of what could, what could happen. And I think, you know, I don't know where I'm going with this, but um, <laughs> I, I tried to think of the sequel trilogy as like a, this is the sort of fundamental basis for what could go wrong, what could go right. And you, you saw with The Force Awakens, they they kind of got it right. They managed to appease to the original fans. They managed to sort of, those original trilogy fans, like the older audience, uh, they found that balance between what made the prequels the prequels and what made the originals the originals. But then they just kind of lost the plot. Um, and I don't say that in a bad way, like The Last Jedi is bad. They just kind of, they lost kind of focus. They... They were trying too much to appease to certain parts of the fan base. They didn't just come in with a story to tell. Um, and, and that's yeah. what worries me about KOTOR. I worry that if they made the first episode, they would then make the second one to appease to all of the sort of negative sides that the fans saw in the episode one. And they did the same thing with three. So I don't know. I just I'm not. I'd, I'd rather see it as a TV show. I, I, if you give someone like John Favreau, I mean, the man is clearly a master in in finding that balance. Um, he's proven it time and time again. I, I I think he could pull off a show, but a movie is just it's too it's too dangerous for me. You know, I I wouldn't want the whole Star Wars fandom seeing Knights of the Old Republic and being like, what a load of rubbish. Even though the games are quite possibly the best thing in the whole in the whole franchise. So, yeah. Yeah. And I I can definitely understand that. Sometimes uh, the Star Wars fan base, I think, is what sometimes what holds Star Wars back yes. from exploring uh, more themes and possibilities. Mm-hmm. And maybe in 10 years, maybe the people who grew up with Knights of the Old Republic and maybe there would be another remake or something or a remaster, maybe that would come out and like people would be uh more open to like a cinematic adaptation but i think where things are headed is more to disney plus and to make uh live action tv shows yeah the the shows shows are definitely disney's focus at the moment i think yeah especially over cinema yeah i i which is different i i just love film so much and Mm -hmm. sometimes i think like film just looks better than some of the best shows you know but yeah i'm open to you know storytelling wherever it goes like even if it's like an interesting transition I guess if you ever had to cast anyone as Darth Malak, did you have any <laughs> ideas of who you'd want? I so I've mentally fan casted two people, and that is uh, Revan and Bastler. They're the only two where I'm like these two actors 
should play these two characters. As for Malik, everybody, I, I think the general consensus is that people want Mark Strong to play him. Yeah. If you know mm-hmm. who he is. Um, but the problem with Mark Strong is he looks the part, he sounds the part, but I think he's too old. Yeah. Um, whereas, like, so in my opinion, there's only one Revan that should ever play the character, and that's Ben Barnes. Oh, um, thank yeah, you. He, I was expecting a Keanu Revan. Reeves there. <laughs> no, Keanu, I, I, I constantly see people say about Keanu Reeves, but listen, I love Keanu. He's, you know, one of the actors I grew up with. I, I love him to bits, but... He's not Revan. He doesn't. He's not a very charismatic sort of personality. Yeah. Whereas I think I think Ben Barnes could pull that off. Mm-hmm. Um, as for Bastila, I forget her name. I think it's Naomi Scott. I think she played um, Jasmine. Jasmine and Aladdin. Yes. Oh, okay. I think she has the perfect voice. I think she's the right age against Ben Barnes. Um, but when it comes to Malik, I mean, I'd like to see a surprise. You know. Obviously, Mark Strong is the the one that everybody goes to, but I think you know an unknown sort of actor, someone new, mm-hmm. would be pretty cool. But probably, if if I had to choose one known actor against even my sort of inner Ben Barnes being Revan, I would probably choose Mark Strong. <laughs> uh, what about you, Brian? Uh, so if I think about uh, who I could envision playing Malik, I immediately go to like Tom Hardy, uh, but I'm but I'm worried that that would draw too many comparisons to uh, the character Bane in the the Dark Knight trilogy there with the face mask and kind of the modulated voice. So I could definitely see him playing Malik and doing an excellent job. But uh, for the for the sake of not having too many comparisons, I'm really high on this actor uh, right now. And it's Tahar Rahim, uh, who is the lead actor in the Mauritanian and uh Kind of more recently in the series The Serpent, which is on Netflix, um, and he's—I think he kind of looks the part. He has an interesting voice, which I think is important for Star Wars villains, and uh, I think that that he would be an interesting pick. So that's kind of my my dark horse pick there. I literally just googled him, and I'm looking at pictures, and you know, I can see it. I can yeah. see it. Yeah, yeah. So can I? Uh, one of my—I have two kind of I'm not married well obviously I'm not married to either of them but I mean I'm not married to the idea of them as Malik but um the f- second one is Nikolai Coster-Waldo and he's also my Candorous kind of pick Oh really? Yeah. Cuz I think like he can play a good villain. He kind of has a the a good voice for it. Maybe he would be a bit too old, but I mean Malik doesn't really look like, you know, the picture of health, you know. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. so I'm I'm expecting it would be like a, a wig and like at least something you know with with the jaw and like he's bald and has tattoos. But I was like, I think Nikolai Costawaldo. I just uh, love watching him in Game of Thrones, and honestly, he's like my fan cast if they ever do the Odyssey. Like, I think he would be a good Odysseus, mm-hmm. but. Mm-hmm. We'll see if that ever happens, but um, I, I think Nikolai Costarwaldo. But if not Malik, he should be Candorous. I think he would be great. I've always sort of mentally pictured Ron Perlman as as Candorous more than anyone. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I've always always because he's he's got that gruff voice. He looks very similar. Um, may, maybe he's a bit too old now, but you know, like ten years ago, I thought 
maybe he would have been a good uh, good casting. But the thing with Malak is, I, I don't necessarily think the the looks are what's important. I think the voice. Mm-hmm. I think you need to capture because obviously the prosthetics and the tattoos and the makeup it will, it will cover the actor up anyway. Yeah. So you need to you need to get someone that really captures the the essence of Malak, the stance, the voice. You know that constant um, sort of um, aggressive, towering powerhouse that he always seems to sort of. Uh, I can't I can't English, but you you know what I mean. Like he, mm-hmm. it's all about the presence. I think. Yeah. Um, more than the the visuals of the face, um, so I think someone with a strong voice is definitely required. Who they are, I, I don't know. That's that's for Disney's uh, casting directors to decide. Yeah, and then my my other pick for Darth Malak, uh, I may be thrown out of the episode, but um, <laughs> it, it's kind of just like for something different. Um, Henry Cavill, just because I think he's a good villain. It's Mission shout, Impossible actually. Fallout mm-hmm. uh, mm. really emphasized like he can be a good villain, you know, and like what I like about uh, his interpretation of Superman is like it's kind of more ambiguous. And like, I think if you ever needed to do flashbacks, um, mm. Henry Cavill really has the physique that uh, Malik had and like he has the blue eyes and like he can play villainous and... I think he would just be kind of uh, an interesting choice. And I mean, I hope he could like make Malik, you know, kind of yes. more than just a Vader, like stand in and like kind of like tap into, I think, the tragedy of Malik because maybe he had the opportunity at the end to become better, but I think he knew like he he wasn't able to make that change so yeah he he just knew to get more in depth. that last moment that his his time had passed there wasn't it was Revan's story right he knew that and i think he was just i think in that moment he just kind of he chose to die with dignity than than fail i think he 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 always looks up to Revan right that's the character of Malak he's always mm-hmm. following Revan always being Revan's lackey and i think in that moment, I think he chose to die as Darth Malak rather than just try and follow in Revan's footsteps again. Uh, that's how I, I see it. Yeah, because mm-hmm. he tries to usurp Revan. He doesn't like being the best mm-hmm. friend or the sidekick. He wants more than that. But uh, yeah. by doing that, he, it kind of dooms him to forever being that. And which is kind of some depth I, I would I would love highlighted if they ever made an adaptation so definitely the, the, there's there's one thing with Knights of the Old Republic that they seem to get wrong especially one and two apart from Kreia is is villain depth I think the villains they are fantastic in their own right but the actual narrative of the villains tends to be like there's a lot of thematics in the villains natures but the actual narratives they don't they don't serve the characters very well. Like I think like Malak, like, yes, you know, he usurped Revan, you know, um, he's the big bad, but like, you don't get into his mind. Like, why did he do what he does? Like, Mm -hmm. and it's the same with Nihilus. Like Nihilus has such an incredible sort of lead up of events to what eventually becomes Darth Nihilus, but you don't know anything about it because the game just treats him as the big bad. And it's the Mm -hmm. same with Sion as well. Like Sion is a, he's a really unique character that, kind of wants to 
serve and follow and it would be interesting to get into his head and see why why is nihilus uh, not nihilus scion so subservient why is he such a, a such a, a lackey for so many other people when you can tell he's pretty powerful um, yeah. and they don't the games don't do that and i think that's for the second one i think that was mainly a limit due to the the budget restraints and not having the time mm-hmm. um but but it's there and i think if they do make an adaption getting into the villains as much as the heroes and the companions is going to be a really important thing for me personally because i'd love i'd love more insight into malik and into the tragedy that led him to what led him to that led him down that path of evil because he's a he's a great character but i just want a little bit more a little bit more meat on the bones you know yeah yeah because especially in knights of the old republic um we only see malik just the you know, a handful of times and not yeah. much happens other than, you know, he's just uh, raining down uh, fire yeah, on some places and, and, yeah. and that's a, that's about it. Yeah. We don't get much, much else to his story other than, you know, well, you get kinda, the flashbacks, you know, like you see him, bit, but he's the one that, you know, like in the flashbacks, he's the one that's like, hold on Revan. Are we, are we sure this is what we should do? You know, when they're going into the, the Dantooine, um, the, the temple, the one with mm-hmm. the star map, he's the one that's like Revan, if we do this, there's no going back. You know, he's the one that's questioning, whereas Revan's just, he's full steam ahead. Like, Revan knows what he wants, but Malak is just kind of following. And he's the one that's cautious. But it kind of reverses the more they go down the dark side, and Malak becomes the one that's just full steam ahead and violent, whereas Revan becomes the one that's a bit more cautious and a bit more thoughtful. So it's an interesting kind of dynamic and reverse as they switch their allegiances. Yeah. I mean, I, I read... Skywalker a family at war by Kristen Baver and is that canon I don't know what it is but I've heard so much about it I don't know if it's canon I would love to know if it's supposed to be an in-universe biography yeah I think that that's how they were treating it I think they were treating it as like a a canon biography of this family yeah I mean if we were a high profile book uh podcast we we would have (laughs) her on but um and I would ask her and figure that out but um I would kind of love a book uh, for Knights of the Old Republic like that book because it really gets into the psychology of like mm-hmm. each of the characters. And I'm like, oh, man, I understand a bit more of like the subtext and like the psychology of where all these characters are. Yeah. And like, for example, it, it points out that Anakin had no time to grieve the loss of his mother and like come to terms with like what he done to the Tuscan Raiders because like the Clone Wars like literally started yeah. that day he got married you know and it's like oh wow now now I can kind of see like Jedi's like you know need therapy you know and they yep. they don't yes, get they that do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they commit they really more crimes do. so and like I would just love that for Knights of the Old Republic I mean like running this podcast like I think we're as we're recording like we're releasing our seventy fifth episode awesome today. And nice. <laughs> so like I, I feel like I kinda like kinda understand these characters maybe a little bit more than the average like, you know, uh Yeah, that's like me my channel. Yeah. <laughs> so, it, I spend so much time just researching and listening to different people's perspectives and reading different people's perspectives that you just kind of you feel like you have a, just a little bit more than the odd the odd fan who plays it every now and then but yeah obviously i, I don't want to say like oh, i'm the biggest knights of the old republic fan but when you're constantly uh, immersed <laughs> when you're immersed in it 
I think you you appreciate it a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely not the number one uh, KOTOR I'd love to know who is. Expert in the world. We'll have to figure that out. Get him on. Like, see what maybe he it's to you. Say. I don't know. <laughs> maybe. But, yeah. I just want to add a point to your uh, a point to your thing about uh, the book. Have you have you both read the Raven novel? Mm-hmm. Um, parts of it. I I'm trying to get all the way through and talk about it. <laughs> Are you struggling with it, or is it just like you don't have time? Uh, it's more like I. I kind of wanted KOTOR 3, and then I got the Revan novel. So I'm working on, like, coming around. The thing with the Revan novel, I think it it kind of encapsulates what you want, where it gets into the psyche of characters. Everybody, like, I, I think I have this kind of... I think people have this perception that I hate the Old Republic, the MMO and the novel and everything that leads up to it. With the Revan novel... It really does expand on Revan as a character. It really does get into his head and get into his perspective on things after Knights of the Old Republic 1. The only problem with it, as I've said in many of my videos, is Mitra. The The book just, it, it ruins KOTOR 2. It ruins everything that is established by, um, by the second game. And especially for the Jedi Exile. And I mean, personally, I, I find the Jedi Exile to be a more interesting character than Revan. Um, but if you are looking for a book that does that does go into the into the psyches of characters, that it does do a good job. Like, it's not a bad... I can't sit here and say it's a bad book. You know, it's not poorly written. There's a lot of interesting things in it. There's interesting characters. I mean, Scourge in the book is very interesting. Revan is interesting. Um, it's just really tough to get through because of what it... If you're a big fan of KOTOR 2, it's tough to get through because of what it does to to that story. But if anybody's, you know, listening and, and they do want a KOTOR book, I would I would recommend Revan. I would recommend it. Yeah. We're making an effort to kind of review more Star Wars books, um, mm. especially with uh, the Path of Destruction re-release. I believe it's by the same author of the, the Revan book, uh, Drew Yeah, yeah, Drew, yeah. So. yeah, it is. I actually, now you mentioned that, I need to contact uh, Del Rey about getting a copy of that. It's a re-release, isn't it? Like a completely brand new copy and everything. Yeah, it has a nice mm-hmm. cover. Yeah, it's uh, a beautiful cover. I, legend I need to contact banner, them. So. Yeah, it's great. I, I haven't, I, I'm not a big, I'm not a big reader. Um, I'm, I'm a sort of person that needs something visual to be mentally stimulated otherwise my brain just it just goes off so it really mm. takes a good book for me to become engrossed like i don't have a bad imagination i just i have a lack of uh, attention <laughs> if that makes sense yeah um, well, i understand that yeah but i i've been trying to get through like the canon books i've been trying to get through um i got through inferno squad uh, i've read the first high republic novel the light of the jedi I read that, and I've got the the sequel. Uh, it's actually right here. It's currently not released. What is it called? The Rising Storm. The Rising oh, Storm. Oh, Kevin yeah. Scott, right? Yeah, Kevin Scott. I need to read through that. Yeah, one day maybe this podcast will be a destination for you know book reviews and author interviews. We can only hope, you know. <laughs> yeah, but, you never know where it leads you, right? <laughs> but. I I do have to mention, um, I mean, by the time this episode is released, we'll probably have this edit up, but I'm working with a 
graphic designer to uh, create an edit of Ben Barnes uh, in the lightsaber cave on Dantooine, and he has some pretty cool ideas, and I'm just trying to convince the world. Um, (laughs) I mean, basically, if you've been listening to this podcast, like, I'm kind of like, maybe the church of anti-Keanu Reeves, you know? I am with you. I'm the same. (laughs) I am the same. Ben Barnes all the way. And, like, if you're going to go with, like, the the mullet guy as... uh, the the face of Revan, um, I would say like Ben Barnes is right there and he's he's right and he's ready. <laughs> the thing with Ben Barnes is that he has that he's he's an older actor, right? He's like in his third mid thirties or early forties, but he has a youthfulness about him. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. he has that kind of like I never obviously in the game Revan's he's what is he thirties early thirties yeah yeah I never imagined him as like an older man. Um, I always imagined him having like a youthful presence. I always, I always get reminded um, by Lelouch v Britannia in an anime called Code Geass, like a young. That that's my only. My, that's that's my biggest problem with Kotor is that they made Revan old, whereas I always thought he was like a a rebellious upstart and a younger person. So if I was yeah. to retcon something in in a in a remake or a movie or a, or a TV show, I would make Revan younger because I also think. The age gap between Revan and Bastila. It's like nowadays. Years. Yeah, nowadays people probably <laughs> mm-hmm. look at that and be like, mm, you know. Yeah. Um, so I think making him younger would be would be a good call by whoever's creating the future of Kotor. Yeah, in our minds, we kind of discuss like maybe having Bastila be the age that Obi Wan is in the Phantom Menace, like twenty five, and like maybe oh, yeah, have yeah. like Revan be like thirty. Mm. mid 30s max just because like i think like in the knights of the older public game if you look at the text like revan is 38 and bastel is like 18 or 19 i'm like um yeah Yeah. no one thought about that there probably wasn't a woman in the room when they were figuring that out (laughs) but when you've been saying that i think having bastler that young sort of plays on the um on on the kind of she 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 pretends to be Obi Wan right like that's the beauty yeah. of Bastila mm-hmm. she pretends to be this wise, um, experienced Jedi when in reality she's just she's just a young girl, and yeah. she's constantly struggling with her identity and who she wants to be and then this man comes in and completely changes everything like she he makes her question, and I think if you have if you have somebody that's older and has that experience, I think that might take away from what makes Bastila so interesting because she is a naive young girl. Mm. Um, so I, I, I personally would keep would keep Bastila like 18, 19 years old and have Revan like in his mid-twenties. Yeah. That would be mine, in my opinion. I guess I can also see the that Bastila is kind of held back by the council. Like... Mm-hmm. Their parenting, quote, quote, you know, like on Dantooine is really bad. (laughs) Um, And so I do kind of get the vibe like Bastila is an important person in the in the war effort. And I do kind of think that the council does hold her back. So she's kind of easier to control. That's the sad thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They control her. So I think maybe if it's somewhere in between the middle, you know, Mm. like maybe between like 20, 25, like. I could just like, I guess I was just kind of seeing the the, like, 
Because, like, Obi-Wan, like, you know, is still, like, in The Phantom Menace, like, kind of a little immature, you know? But um, mm-hmm. just, like, for her to really feel held back, like, maybe have her be a bit older. That does make you know? sense, yeah. So yeah. That, that's yeah. where I was coming from. I, I don't want to go on a tangent because I know we have, like, a, an outline, but the Jedi. I, I, I have this, every time I stream, I swear I have to have this discussion about how <laughs> diabolical the Jedi actually are. They like the the quote in um, the Last Jedi where Luke says the Jedi are romanticized. You know, is mm-hmm. it's so true because the Jedi, they're just, I'd say they're just as evil as as the Sith in a way, in in what they do to children, the way they indoctrinize children into not feeling and having emotion, and then the kind of the arrogance of them to think that they are so unbelievably higher than everybody else um the control that they have on people but like we're talking about bastler there like they're literally they raised they took this girl away from her parents they then recognize that she has this super special ability and then they basically have a have a, a leash on her and they're they're completely controlling everything she does but they're also they're coddling her and saying how special she is and how important she is but also completely chaining her to them and mm-hmm. i think it's an important i think it's an important discussion to have that the jedi aren't this this beautiful aspirational order that we always you know when we grow up you always want to be a jedi but i think you need to really look at the jedi because i don't think they're the good guys in the way that star wars tries to portray them as yeah because i think that's where the writer for Knights of the Old Republic 2 is coming from like mm-hmm. he watched all of Star Wars and that's uh the conclusion he came to like Kreia is saying like do the people you know in the Star Wars galaxy have free will and like yes. the the Jedi don't really get a glowing you know endorsement uh mm-hmm. in in KOTOR 2 and the Sith you know are obviously evil but yeah. At the end of it, like, I think the Jedi Exile canonically comes out on top more because she's just able to, um, I guess... She's herself, right? She's, she's herself. She's she's not anything like she's Jedi. She's Mitra first, and yeah. then Jedi second. Whereas in most Star Wars storytelling, it's Jedi first, then character second. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's... That's the sad reality of Star Wars. I mean, with Chris Avalone, I don't know if you know this, but the writer, Chris Avalone, he actually hated Star Wars. Um, He grew up with it, obviously, like everybody did, but he fell out of love with it. And there are interviews with him where he says, like, I really didn't like Star Wars. So, like, taking on this project, it was Star Wars, it was big for Obsidian, but at the same time, he had really fallen out of love with the franchise. So he had to go back through the movies, through the comics, through all of the expanded universe that had um, popped up since he last really delved into it. And that's where he he realised, like, hang on a minute, the Jedi are just, they're treated as these these wondrous heroes. But in actuality, if you look at their deeds, they're just just as monstrous as as the Sith that they're trying to fight. I mean, one thing I always like to bring up is the codes. Um like the Jedi code and the Sith code the Sith have this reputation as being evil right but that's the actions of the Sith 
But if you look at their code, if you look at actually what is stated on the code, that is kind of a representation of humanity. Whereas the Jedi code is a representation of suppression and a lack of humanity. And I don't think that's that's spoken about enough. Those two codes, the way they parallel to each other. Yeah. Sorry, I'm go- I'm going off on a tangent again. Oh, this is what I, happens I, I when I talk the, Star Wars. I like this tangent though. <laughs> it's better yeah. than anything we could come up with, you know. And yeah, that's the hard thing. Is like, I think a lot of people are just like, "Ooh, flashy boomstick hallway scene, Jedi, mm-hmm. awesome." Yes. Um, yeah. But if you really look at it, like, I don't think like any of the films have ever come up with a solution to like the problem uh the Jedi have with attachments and uh mm-hmm. kind of fully becoming like a real like Jedi do, it's hard because they they don't really ever you don't really see them have families and like be healthy and like truly be human and help out the galaxy you yeah. know and mm-hmm. they it's they take children to, you know they're taught not to be you, which is the weird thing about Jedi is that it's what Anakin says in the Opera House is very true. You know, he says that Jedi are taught to be selfless, but they're not taught to be human. They're not taught to be themselves. They're taught to follow a doctrine which claims that they're selfless, you know, whereas the Sith, they're taught to follow a doctrine which claims that they are selfish. But if you actually read those codes... They are neither. The Sith code isn't about selflessness. Uh, sorry, selfishness. It's just about um, having the strength of. It's kind of what Kreia talks about: having that strength within oneself, having passion, um, you know, succeeding. That's kind of what the, the the Sith code teaches. The Jedi code, on the other hand, teaches you know there is no emotion. That one line in the Jedi code is completely. Mm-hmm. It's the antithesis of humanity. Every yeah. one of us is some of our emotions you know and that one yeah. line the very first line of the jedi code says there is no emotion no emotion so which is e- insane exactly <laughs> and, and then they wonder they go oh why is everybody turning to the dark side it's like well if you repress uh an emotional being's ability to express their emotion and then all of a sudden they start finding out that they can express their emotion they're not going to be able to understand how to control that definitely so i the one thing with the Jedi for me is why why don't they teach teach control, teach restraint, which is what the Sith don't do, right? They don't teach control or restraint. They just say, go for it. But if the Jedi took their code and they taught that there is emotion, but there is peace, rather than there is no emotion, there is peace. I think you have the, you have what could be leading into a better ideology with the Jedi, but they're just so yeah. arrogant and so... Um, so dogmatic, like like Palpatine says, that they wouldn't question it. They they wouldn't question their own ideals. And when they do, when Jedi do question it, they're often exiled and treated like crazy people. I mean, look mm-hmm. at um, if you play Knights, uh, not Knights of the Old, the Old Republic. Do you know who Satil Shan is? Uh, yes. Her mother, um, does that exact thing. She takes the Jedi code, she brings it to the Council, and she's like, "Listen, I fell in love." And I think we should take a look at this code and realize that maybe it isn't perfect and we should question whether love should be allowed in the Jedi Order. And what's the first thing they do? They don't go, yeah, let's have a discussion. They exile. Boom, you're out. <laughs> yeah. 
So it's just it's the same thing with the Jedi. Uh, yeah. yeah. The Shan clan, like they <laughs> love their their attachments, you know. Mm. So yeah. The Shan clan should be, you know. I hope it's a saying because it rhymes, you know. So. Yeah. There I you mean, go. how often do we hear Skywalker family, and it's like we need the Shan clan. So. <laughs> the Shan clan. Yeah. I think that's one of the interesting aspects of this kind of High Republic. You know, these novels is that it's kind of digging into, you know, that sort of thing. And we're seeing it now from kind of a, an outside view that these cracks are here. And that's, you know, kind of what's leading into this ultimate downfall. So I think that that's pretty interesting. I definitely think the, um, the dyad thing in a rise of sky, like I'm going to be perfectly honest. I despise the rise of Skywalker with all of my heart. <laughs> I think it's, one of the worst I, I think it's quite possibly the worst piece of star wars media that's ever been created ever and that's saying something when there is some awful stuff in star wars legends um <laughs> but i think what they were trying to do with the dyad you know where palpatine's like a dyad that hasn't been seen in millennia yeah. my first thought was revan and bastler me too <laughs> yeah and i was like they're just they're throwing in these teasers that you know the revan legion and there's the Sith Crusader pendant. Like, there's all these little teasers. If you read the uh, Light of the Jedi, the High Republic, there's also teasers in that about the um, ah, oh, which war was it? The, I think it was the Exarchoon War. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They tease that. Um, the new Sith Wars, the stuff with that just pre predates Bane and stuff like that. They brought that into canon through the books too. So yeah. they're really they're they're dangling the carrot, you know, but they're just they're not mm-hmm. letting us have a snap at it. <laughs> They're building the bridge backwards, and yes. yep. it's funny because I see a lot of people that are like, oh, why are they doing the High Republic and they're not doing the Old Republic? And I'm like, if you read it, <laughs> they're building they're building the bridge, and like, uh, there was yeah. even a reference to like Surik's blade, and it's like, what yeah, other Surik the is there, yeah. you know? And then mm-hmm. the, writer, the writer said that, yeah, it pretty much is a direct reference to Mitra Surik. Yeah. Yeah. But I I, so I don't like the um. Obviously, Star Wars YouTube is a <laughs> it's a wretched hive of scum and villainy. Let's say, um, and there is so much hate for the High Republic, so much hate, and most of this hatred comes from nothing. It's just uh, nonsense. Yeah. But a lot of what I see is comparisons. Comparison, like why is why is the High Republic replacing the Old Republic? But it's like they're two different things you know they're completely yeah. different yet people have this kind of conception that that conception is that the right word pre yeah. pre I, I don't know my, my english is falling away <laughs> um they have this conception that the high republic is what the old republic is in the disney canon but it's mm-hmm. like it's just it's, it's more like a it's like a middleman between what comes before and what comes after and if you, yeah. I think if you like the Old Republic, I think you would like the High Republic because there's so much references to the Sith and the wars and how the Jedi have learned from their failures, even though they, they don't. But, you know, <laughs> like there's, it's, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. I think if you are a fan of the Old Republic, I think giving the High Republic, especially the first book, just give it a try. I, I think you'll yeah. be surprised. When they first started talking about the High Republic era, I immediately thought that makes sense because the old Republic is too far in the past and they need to have some sort of bridge to make it relatable to what's going on now. So, yeah. Yeah. And 
it's kind of like saying because the renaissance happened the the middle ages couldn't have happened yeah kind of history builds uh on itself you know Mm -hmm. and uh yeah just give the high republic a try like it the old republic isn't going anywhere if anything it's Still here. More stuff is accumulating in yeah, the in it's the building new canon. Up, yeah. So yeah. I mean I kinda walked out of Rise of Skywalker liking it, probably just Ooh. because <laughs> of the line that it's like like a dyad on generations. Line. I'm like, yeah. well, I'm just taking that. It's Revenant Bastila, so mm-hmm. that makes mm-hmm. it canon. So Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there were literally but, there's like two things in the Rise of Skywalker I like, and that's as I like as a Star Wars fan, seeing Ray shoot lightning, like blow up the ship with lightning, like, I loved that bit. And the <laughs> the bit where the Kylo and and Ray are pulling the ship between them, I thought that was pretty cool. And yeah. obviously the all the prequel memes. I mean, I'm I, I'm a meme. You've seen my Instagram, um, but that those are the only two things. The rest of it, I I was I remember my friends looking. At, I was almost crying because of how much I hated the film. And I remember coming out, I was with my three friends, we were all watching it at midnight, and they were looking at me like, I was like, blue, like, I I felt sick after watching that film. And they were like, worried about me because of how badly it affected me. And I'll never not remember how that movie made me feel. It was horrible. Yeah. Do you know what else was blue? The filters (laughs) on Exegol. Oh, God. I just, (laughs) why didn't they just use Korriban? I I don't don't get why they needed, like... Have you have you seen the um the concept art of Exegol where it has that orange tint like like Korriban? It looks so much better. Huh. It really does. I'll have to I'll have to check that out. Like I I think we just didn't really spend enough time on Exegol and like it I not that I need everything explained, but I'm like, is that a is that a chorus back there? Like yeah. why are they there? Like <laughs> yeah, you know? an audience, yeah. <laughs> And I'm just like, okay. It just it was just Jarth too notes. much in one tiny little... Like, that's my worry with KOTOR, right? Like, they just tried to throw so much story into this tiny condensed little space and it just did not work. Like, if you, if you had made maybe two parts of The Rise of Skywalker, then maybe, maybe yeah. you can stretch it out and make it work. But there was just so much jam-packed. It was like whiplash. And it's just... Yeah. Um, Exegol as a planet doesn't make sense to me either. Like, th- there's that whole theory about how Vader's been on Exegol and he knew that Sidious was making this army, yet he never considered maybe telling Luke that there's a a new empire being <laughs> built on this Sith world. Okay. Yeah. Fine. I guess he had faith it would work itself out, you know? So <laughs> That's well, right. Guess... Trust in the Force. <laughs> the, I, I would say the Force definitely was not with JJ, though. Yeah, I think with the rise of Skywalker, I think Disney was just trying to do a checklist to be like for people who liked the Last Jedi, for people who didn't like the yep. Last Jedi. It was very uh, quarter four or quadrant four tested, mm-hmm. and I think when you try to make everyone happy, like no one's happy. Hundred percent. Yeah. I think they just should have just made decisions and stuck with them, and not just tried to make everyone happy. You know, it's like yeah. That's my problem with Disney, is that everything they make is a reaction to what fans respond with. You know, like like I said, when Force Awakens came out, it was too similar. 
it was too much like the new new uh, a new hope so when they made the last jedi what do they make they make this really outlandish star wars film that's quite unlike any of the others in the way that it's presented in the way that it tells its story everybody well it caused a huge divide a lot of people hated it so then they're like damn what do we do for this next one it's 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 all a reaction they don't think right we're going to tell yeah. a story this is what happens at the beginning. This is what's going to happen. This is what's going to end up happening. This is going to be the end. They're just like, right, let's make part one. We'll see what the fans think. Then we'll make part two and see what the fans think. Then make part... And you can't tell a story like that. Like, And it bewilders me because it's it's the exact opposite of George Lucas's storytelling philosophy. Yeah. Like He wanted to tell his story his way. And even though the fans didn't react very well to the prequels, he stuck with it and still told his story. Yeah. And... It, it, it's weird that Disney just like they've done away, away with that yeah yeah George Lucas never retreaded uh his always something new yeah always steps new. really and I mean Star Wars rhymes you know uh mm-hmm. poetry but he was never like let's with with the prequels he he didn't want to just make it like you know four five mm-hmm. and six again um yeah i mean and... the prequels they're so they are so different to the original yeah. trilogy but it's... but they feel like they belong in the same universe and they belong in the same franchise but but if you sit down and watch them you know that they were made with the intent of bringing something new to the table and, and bring in a new perspective whereas disney they they've just they've made it to appease and they've made it to yeah. To feel like the others when they, in reality they should have just gone, this is going to be our trilogy. This is how it's going to look, how it's going to feel, how it's going to start, how it's going to end. And, you know, if people don't like it, whatever. Because it was still going to make money regardless of what they did, right? Yeah. So it's weird that they were so scared about just being inventive and being creative with it. I mean, you just have to look at the... I put this meme on Instagram the other day about the planets in the sequel trilogy. And they're, they're just, well, they're all so generic, you know, they're just carbon copies of what come before. But it's like with the budget that they had, they could have created these incredible, unique vistas that they just, they didn't do. And it, yeah. I don't know, bewilders me. I hope that Star Wars kind of grows out of um, just kind of relating everything back to the original trilogy. Mm. And I don't know if that's going to happen. It's... I think it's why I love uh, Knights of the Old Republic so much is because you can't relate it, you know, like, mm-hmm. you can't, like, have Luke Skywalker show up, you know. Yeah. I'm sure some executive would be like, can we throw in a Darth Vader prophecy <laughs> for no reason so, like, YouTube <laughs> yeah. clickbait people can, like... Have, like, a little bit of Darth Vader breathing in the background of one, like, like no. scary state, like, yeah. yeah. It's completely separate. We don't need to worry about that it would be like someone four thousand years ago like like i don't know referencing something else and it's like no like well, just let it breathe darth vader does actually <laughs> now we talk about in legends darth vader did actually appear in the old okay Republic. he did appear yeah he appeared a, as a um a comic in a vision, in a vision. but like and that's I, i'm scared that's what disney would do though just to appease to people like here, yeah. here is Darth Vader. Here, like, like, like in the Tomb of Ludo Crash, for example, where Mitra is seeing her past. I'm scared that they'd be like, right, this is the perfect opportunity for us to show what's going to come in the future. And then they have 
Anakin and Luke, and uh, I can just see it. I can see it already. Uh. <laughs> yeah, a movie I absolutely hated. I, I think I actually <laughs> threw some popcorn at the screen because I hated it so much, and that's probably not a good thing to do, and I regret that, you know, but I hated <laughs> uh, The Crimes of Grindelwald so much. Oh, it was awful. Um, it was yeah, so like, bad. J.K. Rowling should be taught what screenwriting is and like i remember the hashtag that came out before it came out and it's like hashtag keep the secrets and i'm like well hashtag i if i told someone the secrets they wouldn't believe me because it'd be so stupid you know it's like we get an explanation of like who newt's ex-girlfriend was really a friend who is uh her brother's fiance Mm -hmm. did like and her brother died on the Titanic, and um, there's drama. And like, if I explain that, they'd be like, "What?" But I just know, like. And then they run into um, Nicholas Flamel, and you see with your own eyes in some random cubby the Philosopher's Stone. And I was like, yeah. "Oh yeah," because he would just have that, you know, like yeah. in yeah. a little locker with no <laughs> protection when Grindelwald is like right there. And, and it really frustrates like, me because the first... I, I know we completely... We're on the Ebonhawk podcast talking about Star Wars, but I loved the first Fantastic Beast film. I thought it was very entertaining. And I just thought the second... Like, I don't get how they got the second one so, so wrong yeah. compared to the first. Like, I don't know your opinion on the first, but, like, the, the first was just a... It, like, I, I didn't read the books, obviously. As I said earlier, I'm not the biggest bookie. But, like, sitting down as a fan of movie and a fan of film, it was entertaining, you know? There was a lot of spectacle, and it didn't feel... Mm-hmm. Like, it felt like it was in the Harry Potter universe, <laughs> but it felt like it was detached, and it felt like its own little pocket of storytelling. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. the second one just goes, connection, 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 and he's just like, well, yeah. now it's not a sequel to Fantastic Beasts, it's a prequel to Harry Potter, so... Yeah. Yeah. You encapsulated my my feelings uh on yeah the fantastic beasts saga perfectly so we'll see if the third one ends up coming out <laughs> yeah that's yeah there is one thing i'm very excited for in harry potter though and i th- this is my most anticipated game for like the past five years and that's hogwarts Legacy. oh yeah i cannot wait for that game i'm so excited it's like the game of my childhood growing up the one game i always wanted as a kid was that you build your own student and you you know you get sorted into the houses and you go through the hogwarts as a student and you have all this like that was my dream and it's finally coming out and i i i I almost cried when they delayed it (laughs) yeah i mean harry potter uh is something i grew up with like uh and i think it it's what got me into reading so uh Mm. i'm glad Mm -hmm. that uh people are getting a great a great harry potter game because mm. i grew up with with some harry potter games and back in the day i'm like these graphics are so amazing good. yeah going back yeah. to them i'm like they were so bad but i was actually <laughs> i was watching uh playthroughs the other day actually of the old chamber of secrets because i remember chamber of secrets the game being my favorite one and i was watching like a full playthrough because i hadn't seen it for years and like i have this full memory of like the graphics and how wonderful it was and the gameplay. I was watching this video and I was like, this is awful. Like, this is what my childhood was. <laughs> but, um, yeah. 
Yeah, it's, it's mad what nostalgia does to you. It really is. Yeah. So, one question I had, probably unrelated to anything, but I'm just curious. Like, how would you realize Darth Malik's jaw in an adaptation? Because I'm just honestly curious. What do you mean, like, the metal or, like... Yeah, like, because I'm like, like how would a human, jaw? like, pull that off? Like a human actor acting with something that obscures their mouth. I imagine it would be CGI. I don't mm-hmm. think I don't think you could really I, I I well saying that I guess you could have a prop and then um do the ADR afterwards and do all the recording after. But I don't know it's saying I I don't know. I think it could be CGI, I think it could be a prop. Yeah, or a combination of both. Yeah, maybe. Kind of like how they do vision in Marvel. You know, sometimes mm, it's mm-hmm. makeup and then sometimes it's the the polka dots uh, with the motion capture. So, yeah, maybe a mixture. Maybe a mixture. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's how I would see it too. It's probably It would probably be some sort of like prosthetic that the actor would be wearing and then it would be kind of filled in with CGI, kind of like what they did with l3 and solo how you know she was wearing Mm. the suit but then they went back in and kind of you know put in the the details and the wires and stuff kind of afterwards um but then i think for the voice because of the prosthetic probably wouldn't lend itself very well to talking uh you probably do some like overdubbed thing kind of like how uh adam driver's voice was um in the uh, sequel trilogy there in the cupboard (laughs) in the cup yeah yeah he's uh (laughs) elsewhere projecting it Uh. you're a palpatine Oh, God. That line is one of the worst things I've ever heard in my life. I literally, when I was watching it, it made me cringe. Like, the delivery, everything about it just felt so forced and, like, unnatural. That whole scene, like, it was a very pretty scene. Like, visually, it was great. But, like, the whole, like, Ray, you're a Palpatine. That's like, you couldn't have done that any better? Yeah, I think in 20 years we're going to learn all the behind the scenes like mm, the rewriting yeah. and all that. So yeah, I I can't wait for it. I'm re- I'm ready for the for the chaos about that movie. I hate it so much. I just I want to see it. I want to see it all yeah. revealed. <laughs> yeah. But um I do like the XM Studios um interpretation of Malik and they they strip down like Malik's jaw. So it's kind of like a mechanical mm-hmm. kind of like a mechanical neck you know like it's kind of supported is this um, the um is this the, the the model the the statuette model yeah oh, um, i was yeah i was gonna buy one of those and then i went on google and i i uh, went on the website and i was like damn this is awesome looked at the price and then i almost well i, I do a lot of crying recently but i did almost cry seeing the price of that <laughs> it is so beautiful but ah. Oh. If you have money to burn, then it would be the most beautiful thing to have on a shelf. But that price, yeah. fortunately, the not price for us. is steep, and they only ship uh, yeah, in very few parts of, of Asia. So I'm like, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't really have like a, a billion dollars thousand for shipping. dollars yeah. in like shipping costs. Uh, so I'll look at it from afar. But I was like, this this interpretation of Malik they have, I I just like how they pulled off the. I don't remember seeing that. I'll have to I'll have to go back and look at it. Kind of going through the photos, like, they definitely have something covering Malik's jaw that looks more like out of the game, but then it's like some that can be stripped away, mm. and it's kind of like mechanical underneath it. And Interesting. 
visually it just makes him look more interesting than like he has a metallic jaw and a red body <laughs> suit you know like yeah. it, mm-hmm. they make it, it like the necklace i guess it's not a necklace but it, it's like we, brian and i were kind of talking about it it's like it makes him look like a pharaoh you know uh, all right yeah like, i see what you mean yeah and then like kind of like red wrappings uh it's more evocative of like I don't know, like an alien planet or another age, you know. So oh, definitely, I was, yeah. I was mm-hmm. happy what they did with that, and like, if they ever make anything live action, I hope they would um, kind of take some some cues from this uh, statuette model. So. I'll definitely have to take a look at it uh, after, because I, I don't remember seeing that part. I I I looked at the obviously I saw the price and I was like, well, I shouldn't look at this anymore <laughs> because you know my bank account will be screaming at me, um, but. I didn't see that part, so I will go back and, and take a look at it. Yeah. Yeah. And anyone uh, listening, you can look. Cassia posted on the Instagram, which is at Evan Hawk Podcast. Um, she has a kind of a zoomed in picture on there. So just kind of scroll back through the feed there and you can see a picture of it there. And you can find us on Instagram at Evan Hawk Podcast. And if you want to connect with me, I can be found on Instagram at Astro underscore droid underscore. On Patreon, the link is in our Instagram bio, or you can find it at www.patreon.com slash Podcast. The Ebon Hawk can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, as well as everywhere else that Anchor Podcasts are distributed. Subscriptions, reviews, and shares help us out. Our intro and outro themes were composed by Alistair Shoreman at alistairsounds.wixsite.com forward slash alistairsounds. Our transition music was composed by Christian Walker at christianwalkermusic.com. This episode of the Evan Hawk podcast has been brought to you by Nikki Dog from Patreon. May the force be with you. We will be back soon. Bye for now. <laughs>